post-survivor and uh, was in the IDF as well, which is a quite a quite a contribution. So I'm very happy to, that you're with us, and I want to thank Mr. Wolf from the shul as well. Okay, okay. So what I'd like to share with you this evening is some concepts, hopefully that'll help us with davening, with relating to Hashem, with relating to the world in a different perspective. And to begin, let's start with the Gemara. The Gemara begins with the story of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, at 120 years of age, was the leading sage in the Klai Yisrael. To his address came all issues, to his home came all problems. He was the not just the leading sage, he was the tzaddik, he was the teacher of the generation. And at the age of 120, he took ill. The word quickly spread that the great Rabbi Yochanan ben Zagai is ill. He took to his deathbed. His Talmidim came to visit him. When he saw that his students came to visit him to say goodbye, as soon as they entered, Miyad Hischelivchos, immediately he began crying. And they said to him, Omud Yemini, Potish Chazak, the great Rabbi Yochanan ben Zagai, the powerful light of Israel, why are you crying? Normally, before a person prepares to leave this earth, as much as they have to think about, Many things they did that they should not have done, many things that they should have done that they didn't. But you're the great Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai. For the past 120 years, you've been leading a life of righteousness, of sitkas. You've been a leader. Why are you crying? And he said these words. He said, Let's say they were taking me in front of a mortal flesh and blood king. And this flesh and blood king were to judge me. If this king were to be angry with me, if he were to lock me up, if he were to kill me, it wouldn't be forever. More than that, I could appease him with words, I could bribe him. Nevertheless, I would cry out of fear. But that's not where they're taking me. They're taking me in front of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. If Hashem is angry with me, that's forever. If Hashem locks me up, that is forever. And if Hashem snuffs me out, the Mashal explains, his nefesh becomes non-existent, that would be forever. Shouldn't I cry? And I believe what Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakeh was saying is very obvious. We all understand that at a certain point we're going to leave this earth, my body's going to be put in the ground, and I'm going to stand in front of Hashem for judgment. But here's the point. What is judgment going to look like? And if you'd like a little illustration, imagine that this camera was focused on you for a day. Imagine that we got to film a day in your life, and that day in your life was reviewed by a period of by a jury of your peers, your friends. And they would analyze whether you did well, whether you didn't do well, what you could have accomplished, what you didn't accomplish. I'd imagine you'd be looking with great trepidation. What Rabbi Yochanan Medzakeh was saying was, it may be true that I've done a lot of good, but the incredible precision of judgment that I'm going to stand in front of Hashem now, and every moment of my life is going to be weighed and measured, shouldn't I cry? At which point his Talmidim realized there was not much time left, so they said, Rebbe Barcheno, give us a bracha. And this was his bracha. He said, Yirotzon, it should be the will of Hashem, Aleichem It should be the will of Hashem that you should fear Hashem as you do man. The Talmidim said, Rebbe, Kulehavisulo, that's all. To fear Hashem as we do man, you just told us how much more a person has to fear Hashem. Hashem then man. Now, your bracha is that we should fear Hashem as we do man. Says Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, halavai. It should only be that way. Teidu, I'll prove it to you. Before a man sins, he looks left, he looks right. Shalom, Yerani Adam, let no man see me. 
Halavai, it should only be that you fear Hashem as you do man. Then Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai said, prepare a chair for Chizkiyahu Melech Yehuda. He's going to be Malavami. The Marshal explains Chizkiyahu was the king who brought the Jewish nation back in Tshuva. And because he accomplished so much, it was only appropriate that Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai should be escorted out of this earth by him. And with those words, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai left this world. And this is the Gemara. And I'd like to share with you an interesting observation. It almost sounds like there's a vikuach, like a debate on this man's deathbed, where he says, you should fear Hashem as you do man. The Talmudim say, that's all. And he says, halavai. It almost sounds like a debate, a philosophical debate. And I'd like to understand, what are the two positions? <clears throat> what did the Talmudim ask? What did Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai answer? What was really going on here? And to do that, let's begin with the Talmudim's perspective. And to understand their perspective, let me share with you some simple observations. We live in a world where there's such information that we're almost bombarded on a constant basis. Such novelties, such understandings that sometimes some of the basics lose their, their impact. I'll share with you what I mean. Let's talk about distance. From here to the wall is about 50 feet, not far. From here to California is a lot further. If you get in a jet that's flying 500 miles an hour, it still takes six hours to make it from here to California because 3,000 miles is a great distance. Traversing a continent is a very far distance. But when you talk about the known universe, 3,000 miles is not far at all. From here to the moon is about 250,000 miles. From here to the sun is about 91 million miles. But if you'd like to understand what 91 million miles means, they say that if you were to take the temperature, the core of the sun, the temperature there is approximately 17 million degrees Fahrenheit. If you want to know how hot that is, imagine that you were to take a grain of sand, heat it up to 17 million degrees. If you were to bring it back to planet Earth, everything within a 60-mile radius would erupt into flames. Because there's so much energy, so much heat contained in one grain of sand heated to 17 million degrees that everything within 60 miles would burst into flames. Yet because the sun is so far away, and because it's 91 million miles away, the light gets a chance to dissipate. So that small portion that actually hits the earth and is converted into energy, and hence it's a balmy 70, 80 degrees. But what if the distance from here to the sun was not 91 million miles? Let's imagine for a minute that it was 45 million miles. What would life on our planet be like? So, as you probably know, rock tends to melt at about 4,000 degrees heat. Life on the planet wouldn't be. The planet would be a ball of molten lava. But because the sun is so far out, the light spreads out so much of it that only two billionth of 1% actually hits the planet and is converted into energy, hence it's a balmy 70, 80 degrees on the planet. But here's the point. When you talk about 250,000 miles from here to the moon, or 91 million miles from here to the sun, when you discuss the known universe, those distances are inconsequential. As a matter of fact, if you'd like to measure distances between stars, let's say from our star to the local nearest star, right? Our sun the closest nearest star, anyone remember from high school? Alpha Centauri, Alpha Centauri that's right. You get the cigar. 
from the distance from the sun to Alpha Centauri. How far is it, by the way? Um, Very far. Four and a half. <clears throat> okay, so here's the problem. It's so far away that you can't measure it. In other words, if you use the miles, and the, it, it's just such a cumbersome number that it makes no sense. So to measure distances in the universe, science reverts to a different system and measure the speed of light. Right? Light travels at about 186,000 miles a second. <clears throat> you now have a frame of reference. How many seconds, how many minutes. You can now measure great distances. So let's do the system. From here to the moon, one and a quarter second. Not very far. That's all it takes for light traveling 186,000 miles a second, second and a quarter from the moon to Earth. From the sun to the Earth, about eight minutes. How long does it take light to travel from Alpha Centauri to the sun? It takes four and a half years. That means take 186,000 miles a second, 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours. It takes 1,400 days for light to travel, that tremendous traverse between the sun and Alpha Centauri, because it's so far apart that it's almost unimaginable. But here's the interesting point. In our own local Milky Way galaxy, there are not two stars. Not even a dozen stars, not even 20, not even 100. Scientists now estimate that in our local Milky Way galaxy, there are approximately 100 billion stars. Each star as powerful as the sun or more powerful, each spread as far as the sun to Alpha Centauri, spread across this Milky Way galaxy that's unimaginably large and expanse that baffles the human imagination. But here's where things get really interesting. When scientists revert to Mashalim, to parables, it's time to listen very carefully. We're very familiar with parables. We discuss concepts that are beyond our frame of reference. Kedusha, Tahara, things that we're not really accustomed to. Chazal used parables. But science measures concrete, physical entities. When they use parables, it's time to listen very carefully. Scientists give us a parable, a mushal. If you'd like to know the Milky Way galaxy, unimaginably large, compare it to the known universe. They say it's the equivalent of comparing a coffee cup to the United States of America. Because in the known universe that's so large, there are approximately 100 billion galaxies, each containing 100 billion stars or more, each as powerful as the sun, each spread apart as far as the sun to Alpha Centauri, spread across 13 billion light years of ever-expanding space. Now, if you'd like to know why that's relevant to us, I'll share with you a question that my daughter asked when she was about six years old. She now has a six-year-old, but when she was in school and they were learning about my creation, she came back and she said, Abba, I get it. Before Hashem made the planets and the sun and the moon, I get it, there were no trees, there was no water, but, but Abba, uh, what color was it? Now I want to share with you a very important point. If you close your eyes and imagine the moment before Hashem said Vayihi, what do you see? So typically you see black. But you see, black is a color. Vacuum implies physicality. And before Hashem created the world, there was nothing. Absolute absence of anything. Hashem said, Vayihi, and a hundred billion galaxies, each containing a hundred billion stars, came into existence. And when you hear that, when you fathom that, when you understand that, 
you should at a certain point say, this is astonishing. If this is the creation, what does it tell me about my creator? And if you really get this, you would fall on your face and say, Hashem, look, God is great. God is unimaginably great. And I believe that's exactly what the Talmudim was saying to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. You ask us to fear Hashem as we do man, mortal man, man who puts his head down on a pillow at night, doesn't know if he's going to open his eyes in the morning or not. You ask us to fear the creator of the heavens and the earth as we do man. And I believe that's exactly what the Talmudim was saying to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. But interestingly enough, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai didn't say, Oh, Taka, good point. He didn't say, You're right. He said, Halavai. It should only be that you fear Hashem as you do man. So I understand the Talmudim's position. What was Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai's answer? So if you want to understand the answer, I mentioned to one of the young ladies today that I was a high school rabbi. I taught uh, 11th grade for about 15 years. And I used to teach the guys some of the basics of dating and some of the basics of marriage. They would say, well, only seven... I said, learn it now, not when you're walking down the chuppah. Anyway, here was one of the rules I used to tell the guys about dating. First date, whatever you do, do not take the girl out to eat. Go for a walk, go, but whatever you do, but don't take her out to a restaurant. Why? Well, first of all, your first date might be your last date, and it could be very expensive, but much more than that. She's just not going to be comfortable. Like, I mean, what am I going to slurp the spaghetti, scrunch the, 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 the lettuce? She's going to be so uncomfortable, and don't take a girl out to eat a first date to a restaurant. Okay, good. Now, here's the observation. You guys taking notes there? Right. First date might be the last date. Okay. Here's the observation. Imagine we have a 21-year-old woman. Fine. Now, she's been eating um, three square meals a day since she's three years of age, let's say, right? Three meals a day times 365, about 1,000 meals a year times 18. That's 18,000 meals. Somehow she manages not to slurp the spaghetti, not to scrunch the lettuce. What suddenly happened? Did she forget how to eat? So the answer is, come on, this is different. I mean, this, is, this might be my Bashar. It's very, like, he's right. It's very uncomfortable. I believe that's exactly what Rabbi Yochanan Menzake was saying. You see, when someone is here, it's a very different experience. And I believe what Rabbi Yochanan Menzake was saying, if you want to study the creation, you'll see an eye glimpse to the greatness, to the majesty of Hashem. But if you want to come to real Yerushalayim, if you want to come to really appreciate Hashem, understand one concept. Hashem is here, right here. Forget the fact that Hashem created the entire cosmos. Forget the fact that Hashem made sunlight, moons, suns. That Hashem is present. That concept alone will have a far greater impact, will change your life to a much greater extent. And interestingly enough, Mitzvah Sharm tells us that that is davening. He explains, Zuhi Tfila. The highest level of Yiras Hashem is Yiras Aromas, knowing that Hashem is present, explains Mr. Hashem, that's davening. <clears throat> he explains that when I'm davening, I'm speaking to Hashem. Much like I speak to my friend, my friend may respond, may not respond, but I'm speaking to my friend right here. Mr. Hashem explains when I'm davening, I'm speaking to Hashem right here, having a conversation, little me, speaking to the Creator of the heavens and the earth, but right here, but not... 13 billion light years up there. Hashem, can you hear me up there? Uh-uh. Right here, speaking to Hashem, directly here, having a conversation. And when you understand that concept, 
you begin to understand a tremendous concept in life. And that is one of the greatest opportunities that a Jew has is the ability to speak to Hashem. And if you close your eyes, cut through the static, cut through the noise, and actually recognize that you're speaking to Hashem, it's a very powerful, moving experience. Now, the problem is that oftentimes we're so distracted, we're so busy, our minds are so kind of lost that we can't even connect. And it might be a rare time, it might be a Shabbos, it might be Yom Kippur, but at a certain point when you close your eyes and you speak directly to Hashem, you know you're there. Now unfortunately, for many people, it only occurs when they're in trouble. It only occurs when the car is rolling down the cliff and then it's Hashem, help! What do you mean Hashem? Hashem can't help you. Hashem is up there in the heavens. Hashem is, uh uh-uh. At that moment, there's a clarity of understanding. When you're in trouble, when you can't pay your mortgage, when the doctor says, I got bad news for you, when you realize you're in deep, dire straits, at that moment you're able to cut through the noise, cut through the static, and recognize that Hashem is there, and you're able to speak to Hashem directly there. Now, I'd like to share with you an interesting observation. I am an observant Jew. And so I try to observe different things that people do. And I made the following observation a while back. I noticed that Ashkenazic Jews have this sort of, I thought it was like some kind of muscular, I don't know, dystrophy or some kind of genetic problem, but I found that Ashkenazic Jews had this like little twitch. And they always do it. Before they eat, before they drink, they have this like, this twitch. And I studied it, and I found it was like incredibly <clears throat> consistent. Jew after Jew would have this like muscle twitch, and <clears throat> they'd move their lips or something it was. And then one day it was breakfast, and I put my ears real close to a guy who was going to eat cereal, and I heard what it was. It was not a muscle twitch. I listened very carefully, and this is what I heard. Shakavaro. Shakavaro. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, let me be very clear. Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed be you God, right here, present. Elokeinu, our God, Melech HaOlam, King of the Universe. Shakol Nihyeh Bidvaro. Shakol means everything. Nihyeh is a very difficult word to translate. Nihyeh does not mean past. Nihyeh does not mean future. Nihyeh does not mean present. Nihyeh means all three. That everything in existence was brought into his existence, is held in existence, and will be kept in existence, bidvaro, with your words alone. My friends, could you imagine if once a day I cut through the static and acknowledge the fact that Hashem is present right here. But right here means here. Melech Olam, King of the Universe, Shakol Niyad, everything that my eye sees, everything that I've ever experienced, has been brought into existence, held in existence, with your words alone. Could you imagine the life-changing experience if I did that once a day? Intriguingly, we don't do that once a day. We make 100 brachas every day. 100 brachas. 100 100 times a day, we're supposed to stop, acknowledge Hashem's presence, recognize that He's here, and have a communication with God. Now, I have one more important observation. If you would like to master a skill, let's say you want to learn a language, maybe you want to learn how to play a musical instrument, 
what they say is two hours a day for about two years, and you can learn most skills. Whether it be a language, whether it be an instrument, whether it be some kind of hobby, if you spend about two hours a day for about two years, you'll reach a pretty good proficiency. You'll play the guitar, you'll speak French, whatever skill you'd like to learn. But there's another level called mastery. It takes 10,000 hours to master something. And they say if you look across all industries, from flying a 747 to being a rock concert professional to being a tennis pro, 10,000 hours is the entry point. When you hit the 10,000 hours of practice, you're an expert. Before that, not. Okay, why do I say that? Assuming that you are an Orthodox Jew, you're going to spend some time during your life dominating. Let's look at an average day. Shachris, about an hour. <clears throat> Mincha, maybe 15, 20 minutes. Marav, another 15 minutes. You got benching, you got brachas, you have Shabbos. You will spend at least two hours a day, every day of your life, for the rest of your life, davening. And do you know what that means in plain, simple language? 13 years is 10,000 hours. If you use your time properly, you're not going to be an expert. You're going to be a top expert at one thing. <clears throat> recognizing that Hashem is present. Communicating to God. <clears throat> recognizing the nature of Hashem as much as I can. Relating to Hashem. And here's the only question. Is dominating useful to you? And here's the great secret. If you don't work on dominating, if you don't take time, if you don't study the creation, if you don't work on what it, you're doing, Dominating is going to be an exercise in futility. And it's a little bit funny because it's so many times it happens. Again, as a high school Rebbe, I would have, um, I don't know if you guys notice this, but they do this here too. Yeah, they do. Yeah. You ever notice that everyone in the audience sits facing the right way, facing Aaron Kodesh, except the rabbi? Right? The rabbi faces the wrong way. Now, when I first became a Rebbe, I found it very uncomfortable because everybody's facing Aaron Kodesh, and I'm facing everybody. So, it, you know, it's dominating, and it's pretty... I put my towels on my head, and I found it uncomfortable, but I found a very, very interesting thing. I could watch the guys when they davened. Some guys daven beautifully. Some guys daven... Uh, uh. And at least a bunch of guys were what I call fly catchers. Fly catchers are the guys that daven actually... Okay. Anyway, we got one fly catcher. We call him Moshi. And Moshi catches flies three minutes into the Shemonestra. He's done, head down every day, filling on, sound asleep at the bench. He's gone. Day after day after day after day. Okay. <clears throat> One evening, about 10 o'clock, I come into the base medrash, and there's Moshi, hand jacket on, shuckling away, dominating. <clears throat> I say, Moshi, what, what's, what's doing? Oh, Rabbi, you didn't hear? No, hear what? My kid brother, it was an accident, terrible, terrible thing. Now, <clears throat> the rest of this didn't actually happen. But imagine that it did. Moshe, yeah, but what are you doing? Rabbi, I told you, my kid brother, they don't know if he's going to make it. It's yeah, but Moshe, what are you doing? I told you, I'm dominating. Moshe, there's no one here. You're talking to the wall. What are you doing, Moshe? You know what Moshe's doing? For the first time, maybe in his adult life, he's actually communicating with Hashem. He's actually speaking to Hashem. And by the way, I give guys that exercise. I would tell them all the time, <clears throat> next time in the middle of Shema Kolenu, speak to Hashem, but in your words. Make a request. It could be large, it could be small. <clears throat> Make a request. And it's almost ironic to watch guys. You could have a 17-year-old guy. He could be 25 years old. He gets to the part of Shmakolinu, and he's about to... Um, Hashem, um, God, um, 
Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to do it, but you got him. I, man, I hope nobody sees this. It's weird. Um, I sort of need help with something. Do you understand, you understand what he's doing? For the first time in his adult life, he's communicating, speaking to his creator. But that is tefillah. That is davening. And I'd like to share with you three simple exercises if you want to change your davening. <clears throat> Number one, from now on in, <clears throat> before you daven, spend even half a moment envisioning and imagining that you're speaking to your Creator. Now you have to be careful because Hashem has no goof, has no physicality, <clears throat> body. I used to put a chair in front of myself. The guy said, oh, come on, we know what you do. <clears throat> but just imagine in your mind's eye that you're speaking to Hashem right here. Spend two seconds even. Just conjure up an image, I'm speaking to Hashem right here. The second technique is personalize every Shman Esrei. Don't dominate another Shman Esrei without asking a bakasha, a request in your mother tongue. You can make it in any bracha if you know what the bracha means. If not, Shema Kolein, it was the Shahakol bracha. But make a request in every single Shema Koleinu. But why? Because when you actually make a request in your mother tongue and ask for something, big or small, it makes it real. It changes it. You have to use the words that Anche Knesset Agdola wrote because there's tremendous power in those words. And those words have tremendous impact. But make sure you use your own words as well. And here's the third technique. <clears throat> Are you ready, folks? All right, here we go. I'm not going to do it. I usually do it. I've gone to high schools throughout the country. This country, other countries, and never once have I lost my bet. I'm not a betting man. But <clears throat> I go throughout the country, I pull out a $100 bill, and I say these words. <clears throat> I challenge you guys. If you can translate these words, I will give you this $100 bill. I don't really do this because I'm not a betting man. But I say I would just wonder if anybody... I've not lost the bet once. Not once have I lost the bet. I pull out these strange words. You want to try me on it? 100 bucks? You want to try Come on. You want to try it? I don't have a $100 bill on me. I pull out a sitter, and I pull out these strange expressions from Suki de Zimra. Do you know, uh, if I'm a sitter here, Lefnei Karoso Miyamod, Lefnei Karoso Miyamod, that's a good word. Anyone know what that means? Lefnei Karoso Miyamod? Fazer, Fazer, Kifit, one second, anyone know what that means? Lefnei Karoso Miyamod, here. Let's have some fun, folks. Here we go, you ready? Oh, this is a strange one. This one is in, this one is in Hebrew. Oh, um, oh, Oh, Shabbos, forget about it. I'm not even going to go there. <clears throat> Let's deal with regular weekday davening. <clears throat> okay, here we go. Um, Hamachas Hashemayim Ba'avi, not too bad. Hamechin Laaretz Mata, Hamatzmiach Harim Chatzir. Hamatzmiach Harim Chatzir. Anyone know what that means? I don't know. Ladies should know. Most I, I, I used to think all the ladies would know. I found it's not so true either. Um, <clears throat> that's not so hard. Here's a beautiful, this is the one I love. What does that mean? I don't know. Here's the rest of the Pasuk. Anyone know what these words mean? By the way, I'm, kidding, I'm not kidding around. Um, I'm being serious. Okay, here's a little admission. I was 19 years of age, and my Mishabura Chavrusa hated me. Why? 
Because I realized, I don't know what the words of the Siddur meant. I went to yeshiva my whole life. I did not know what the words meant. So after dominating, I would take one little part. I'd start with Baruch Shamar. On top of Baruch, I wrote Baruch, bless, Shamar, said, and wrote it down. And it took me long enough that my Mishabruch of Rusa was waiting. And I would write this down every day. And I would do Baruch Shamar for about a week. And I would go on to Hodu. And if you do this, a very strange thing happens. When you know what the words mean, it changes your experience. And if the problem is you're used to it, you've got to change the sitter, and you have to use an interlinear, by the way, it doesn't work. You know why it doesn't work? Because you're looking, you're not looking. Learn what the words mean so that you could say them, and you could speak to your Creator, and it changes your dominant. I think this Chazal shares with us a tremendous concept. <clears throat> what the Talmudian was saying to Rabbi Yochum Zakai was, look at this world, look at the vastness, look at the complexity. Isn't that a way to see Hashem? And it's rather true. If you study any part of this physical world, you'll see your Creator, you see the majesty of your Creator, you see the power, you see the might. But what Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakeh was saying to his Talmudian was, that's true. And it's a wonderful way to study the greatness of Hashem. And by the way, one of the things that you should do is take pictures. I went with my wife. Is my wife here? She snuck out. Oh, now I notice. I never noticed who's here or not. She came. Okay, we went to we went to the Grand Canyon, and I took many many pictures, but not with my camera, with my mind's eye, because I wanted to show up the next day to Shacharis with an image of the Grand Canyon, because when you stand at the foot of the Grand Canyon and it's massive beyond description, and you see the grandeur and it's just incredible. If you take a picture in your mind's eye. And then you bring it up before you start dominating next day, it changes your dominating. And I believe that's exactly what the Talmudim was saying to Rabbi Yochanan Zaka. You ask us to fear Hashem as we do man, little mortal man. <clears throat> look at this world, look at the greatness, look at the vastness. And I believe what Rabbi Yochanan Zaka was saying was, you're correct. To study the world is a great way of seeing the greatness of your Creator. But if you really want to change your dominating, if you want to change your life, concentrate on one concept. That Hashem is here. That I'm speaking to Hashem right here. <clears throat> Me, having a conversation with Hashem. That will change your life to a greater extent. And I believe that's exactly what Rabbi Yochanan ben Zaka was saying to his Talmidim. But you have to remember. You have to work on it. To work on it, you have to envision that you're speaking to Hashem. You have to personalize each monastery. And you also have to do the last step. You have to know what the Siddur means. You have to know what the words mean. And I'd like to close with one last observation. I try to be a good father. My kids now, Baruch Hashem, are older, most are married. But over the years, I tried to be involved in my kids' life as much as I could. And I had when my oldest daughter was about 13, she was Loa Lenu. She, um, she was a Yankee fan. All right, listen, Baruch Hashem, she got older, she grew up. But at the time, she was a Yankee fan, so I took her to a Yankee game. Okay, now, as a kid, I was very into competitive sports. But spectator sports was never a big thing. I had gone to a game back as a kid, but I hadn't been in the stadium for years and years and years. And we sit down on the seats, and the game's about to start, and the pitcher gets up there and he goes like this. We have thrown a ball. You do. I mean, it was the most boring thing. Nothing happened. He finally threw the ball. It's a, okay. Anyway, by the top of the first inning, I was bored out of my mind. Baruch Hashem, my daughter had a biography of Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter was the shortstop of the Yankees, MVP, maybe the greatest 
ball player in the history of baseball for those who are Yankee fans. Okay, anyway, bottom line is she had a biography and I started reading and I was amazed by one fact. Do you know that Derek Jeter was not just an all-star? It was not just that he was extremely talented. And it wasn't just that he was a gifted athlete. Every single game, he showed up to the stadium four hours before the game started. He would shower, suit up, start stretching, start limbering, go start throwing the ball, so that by the time the first pitch was thrown, he was four hours into the game. It wasn't just that he was a star. He worked harder than everybody else, and for four hours before the game, he did nothing but get himself ready for that game. Why do I say that? If you would like to change your dominating and change your life, become an expert on your relationship with God, spend 10 minutes a day, not four hours, 10 minutes before dominating, take anything in this world that's astonishing and amazing. It could be a biology book, it could be a physics book, it could be a book about any aspect of nature, you could study animals, take 10 minutes and study any, if you run out of material, ask Edward, he's got tons and tons of incredible animals and features of this world, but take 10 minutes before dominating and study it. If you can't do it before dominating, because that's a takana, that the tzibra can't be omade, do it at night before. But if you take 10 minutes and invest it, it changes your dominating. You see your creator. If this is the creation, what does it tell me about my creator? And you go there prepared, you're ready, you speak to Hashem, and you change your relationship, change your recognition, you change your life. And now, I'd like to open the floor to questions, thoughts, observations. It can be on this topic, it can be any, any topic. Yes? So just repeating the description of the bracha, you said, Baruch Atah Hashem, the meaning, what it means. Yeah, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed be you, God. Baruch Atah But Hashem, here, Elokeinu, our God. Shakol, everything. Nihiyeh Bidvaro. Bidvaro means with his words. Nihiyeh means, it's a, it doesn't have a regular... Meaning, it doesn't mean past, it doesn't mean present, and it doesn't mean future, it means all three. That everything in existence was brought into existence, is held in existence, and will remain in existence, bidvaro, with your words. Meaning, I'm recognizing that not only did Hashem bring everything that my eye sees into existence, but at this moment, Hashem is keeping everything here as it is, as it should be, every moment of existence. And if for a split second, Hashem would cease infusing energy into whatever object it is, it would cease to be. Now, if I would just stop once a day and say those words, number one, Hashem, you're here. Elokeinu, melech ha'olam, shakol niyeh would change my life. Two hours a day, by the way, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? His word, bid devar, shalom, bid devar. Yes. You have taken from Hashem with the front of us. I mean, according to this explanation, how does that explain the fact that you're saying his word? You mean you should say bid varecha? You should say shakol, nihiyah. It's an acknowledgement. It's a, it's a recognition that everything in existence was brought into existence with his words. It's like second person, almost third person, speaking with deference, with respect. You know what I'm saying? It's bidvar with his word. You know, it's, if I speak to you first, pers- first person, you, Bob, John, right? Second person is, you know what I mean? It's, don't I know what I'm talking about? Second, I never learned grammar in school, I, but it's, 
It's second person, almost third. It's, it's a form of respect, not bidvarecha, with your words, bidvaro, with his words, with, with your words in the second, almost third person. Do I know what I'm talking about? May, may I just present my, my view? Please. Please. Wait, wait, you what? You, Amadish Baruch that you're standing in front of me, you bless Elokein Amadish Baruch which is another, another name for Amadish Baruch another Oh, Baruch another teacher of Amadish Baruch that the one that created, you Amadish Baruch bless the one who created the world. You get me a little nervous here. I say Hashem Echad once, twice a day, Hashem Echad. But you say Elokein, you can love K. Okay, I've, I've looked at, honestly, I've studied the brachas. I've never seen, if you could show me someone who reads the bracha that way, I, I'd be very impressed. But I've never. I've, Edward, you defend me. Come on, he's, he's slugging me up. He's making me look like a. Uh, come on. He's on my side. Anytime I have trouble, Edward stands up in my defense. <laughs> There's a source in Yamara Sanhedrin that one who does the opposite of blessing to Abu Shabbat. One who does what I'm sorry? Opposite of blessing. Abu, yeah. To Abu. 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 The one that does opposite of the blessing of the Lord. It says, Nakeh, Osem, and then it says, the Osmo. Uh, you know, let's, let's discuss this after, okay, if, you, if we can, because I, I, I hear the point, but I'm, I'm, I think we're going to. Okay. Uh, yeah. Why do you feel so challenging to get yourself together 10 minutes before Dabin to you know, focus on the Shepherd? What's the challenge? Why is it so challenging? Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? I have a very simple muscle. Um, you ever see a uh, a drunk? If you guys from Shmuel's Live, you may I used this recently. A drunk yeshiva bacher, first year, first time he's drunk, right? Okay, so here we go. We got Moishi, uh, drunk yeshiva bacher, first year. Uh, base Medrash, he's allowed to stay. He's allowed to. Do they allow him to stay now? First year base Medrash, guys allowed to stay in yeshiva? Yeah. And Rochester did send him home. All right, anyway, fine. Okay, so he gets drunk, and he's out there playing in traffic. Moshe, what are you doing? I'm playing with the cars. Moshe, you're going to hit by a car? I know, it's not cracked my back. Eh? Moshe, you're going to hit by a car? You're gonna... I know they're going to send me to the hospital. They'll put pins in my back. I'll go through the x-ray. Ding, ding, ding. What? Okay. Now imagine we filmed that for a moment. And imagine you were to talk to Moshe the next day and show him the film of what was going on the day before. What would he say? Meaning, here's the question. Moishi's an intelligent fellow. You're speaking to him. He even recognizes the fact he's going to get hit by a car. He also recognizes the fact that he's going to get sent to the hospital, pins in his back. He's clearly intelligent. So why is he playing in traffic? The answer is, he's drunk. In fact, again, the proof is, if you show him a video the next day of it, what was my, what was my problem? When you're drunk, you're drunk. Hashem took a brilliant neshama that was pure and holy, put it into your body. 
you are mixed up. You're half Seichel, half Nevesha Bahami, you're drunk. And in this drunken state, every once in a while I wake up, oh my goodness, Hashem is here. And then I go back to... We're in that ever mix of intoxicated and normal, sober and drunk, and that's our life. So to be able to stop the busyness and cut through and just speak to Hashem requires sobering up. Now the more you do this and the more you work on it, the stronger your neshama becomes, the less a hold the Nefesh Bahami has on you. And the more you're able to recognize it, the more you're able to speak to Hashem. But at the end of the day, you're, as long as you're in this body, you're going to be drunk with this thing called being a human being. And it's very difficult to relate to spirituality. It's very difficult to relate to Ruchnius. It's hard to feel it. It's hard to... Because we're, again, we're enveloped in, in the body. Yes, sir? When we say the words like, you said, blessed be you, in our mind, are we, like when we're saying the word blessed, are we supposed to be thinking, I am, I am now doing my best to bless you? Okay, excellent question. What does the word bless you mean? I, what am, I'm giving a blessing to God. God's supposed to give blessings to us. So this is, a, this is a question that's discussed amongst many, many of the commentaries. The simplest way to understand it is, and bless, you are the source of all blessing. You are the source. Ble- not, not I'm blessing you, but you are the source of all blessing. Right, Recognize, right. acknowledging, recognizing, yeah. Yes, sir. One second, Wait, I don't see the hand on the... Oh, yeah, yeah. Rami Jacob, yes. Are you a real person? Wow. Okay, yes. Not just the name on the screen. Yes, sir. In terms of personalizing davening, so Rebbe mentioned Shema Kalenu that, and that's like the classic time. But isn't also by New Rotom right before? Okay, so here's here's an interesting halacha. The Mishmaru says that you should be careful not to make the um, your inserts in Shema Kalenu longer than the rest of the bracha because it's like you're making your words more important than Chazal. So. It's probably not a good idea to be marich, to make a lot of requests in Shema Koleinu. You can make any request you want in Shema Koleinu, but try to keep it kind of short-ish. <clears throat> You're best off for a number of reasons, waiting till after you say Yerotzon. First of all, once you say Yerotzon, you can answer Kaddish, Kedush, all that good stuff. Um, but also then, you're not really you know, interfering with the, with the flow of Shema Esra. You're not elongating any bracha, etc. But again, any bracha, you're allowed to make the request that fits that bracha, the meaning of the bracha. Shema Koleinu is the Shachol. But again, if, you, you, if it's going to be a long request, you should probably wait till after Yeratzon at the very end of Shema Esra. And then also, Oh, follow-up question, yes. Of course. I knew it was going to be, yeah. Very long shot together, Rebbe mentioned that the, things that the interlinear, it's difficult to get in the habit of actually remembering the words. But something else that interlinear has, and clearly others that are in habit too, is on the bottom they have footnotes on some of the words. <coughs> okay. I think that would be good for some to, to know before a person is reading davening and know kind of the concepts of the words. But sometimes during davening... Like, I want to tell you guys two stories that are not powerful, powerful stories, but interesting observations. Rabbi Dvirat's Rashiva Rochester, he's, he's my Rebbe, he's now in his mid-70s, and he's, I don't have to tell you, he's an Olam he's a phenomenal, he once said to me, you know, I found a new technique, I keep my finger on the words and it helps me pay attention, I'm like, <laughs> I thought it just meant, it's, dominating is not easy, you have to work on it, but that's not the best one. Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky, I know for a fact, changes Sidurim on a regular basis. Why? Because you see the words differently, and it keeps you like, 
You know what I'm saying? And one wise guy once said to him, he was using an art scroll once. And one wise guy once said, why is Rishul using an art scroll? Rishul looked at him and said, because if I use it, it'll be matter for you to use it. You'll be able to use it now. <laughs> okay, ladies, questions, thoughts, observation. <clears throat> See, ladies have no problem with davening. That's why, I have no question. It's easy. It's a lot easier for women to daven than it is for guys. But yeah. Wait, could, is it a little bit louder? The meaning. Okay, it's a very good question. So, um, you should try to say at least Shema and Shema in Hebrew. Um, other than that, you could daven everything in English. Shema Esri, by the way, you could probably say all of Shema Esri in English as well. But you're better off trying to learn the words. What they, you see, the words were written with a very powerful impact. They were written by the Anche Knesset Gadol. They were written 2,500 years ago. There were um, 120 of the greatest sages amongst the many Nevi'im, and each word was given a tremendous measurements and weight, and, and has a tremendous impact. So if you could learn the meaning of the words, you should try regardless to say Shema and Shema Esri in Hebrew. Um, again, if you have to, you could say Shema Esri in English, but try to learn the words in Hebrew, and everything else you certainly can't say in English. But again, the more you could say it in Hebrew and know what they mean, the better off the more powerful your, your dominant is going to be. But it, it could be a project. It doesn't have to be like tomorrow my entire dominant is in Hebrew. It's a slow project. You take on more and more, little by little, until it, you know, until you actually get it. Edward, the grace of Tzaddik. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, you just mentioned that I always defend you. But yes. As a matter of fact, in Zoom, I never defended you. You don't need no. to be defended, but I always contradict you. Oh, yeah, I didn't true. notice. I didn't notice. So, for instance, you're saying, like, Hashem is watching us, like, every second, every minute, yeah. right? Like, right. I'm going to the bathroom, Hashem is watching what kind of toilet paper I'm using, Charmian or Kirkland, Kirkland to rough for me, okay? So, my observation is very different. Hashem has like security cameras over the world, okay? And he's not watching us all the time. But the problem is, yes. Otherwise, he's like a janitor with a toolbox. Okay. Oh, I get it. I get it. Here's, here's, here's the story. Ed was in big trouble. He's walking down the street. Three thugs jump out, hold a gun to his head, and Hashem magically appears, swooping down. Whoa, here I am, Edward, to save you. How did Hashem get there? How did God get there? He wasn't there. He was up the janitor. Like, whatever. How did he get there? The computer reacted. Oh, the computer reacted. It's like when you're leaving the house, you have security cameras. Something's moving, yet the Okay, let me explain to you what Edward's asking. What Edward's asking is, I am a finite human being. I'm defined by my body, limited by physicality. How could I relate to a Shem who is boundless, limitless, and beyond any human definition or any human limit? How could I relate to a Shem? It's a very good question. If it weren't for the cloud, I might not be able to answer that question. But now that I'm aware of the cloud, you're right, it requires, see, it's difficult to break out of our physical limitations. And that's why I say close your eyes. Because, you see, a lot of times what you need to do is just stop being limited by your body. I'll give you for instance. Um, you, know what's, you know what's a good for instance? I never met you, but I know your personality. How could that be? How can I, I know so something about your person? How can I know your personality? 
We communicate. We can, but I never saw your face over Zoom. You don't put your camera on. Just your voice. But I know you. I know you. But I don't know your body, but I know you. I can know a person very well, even though I don't know their body. How could that be? Because you... Are you ready for this one, Edward? You're sitting down? Sitting down? You are not your body. You're the guy inside. You are the neshama. You are the soul. When your body's put in the ground, you separate. But the you is the you who I'm speaking to. Not the body, not the arm, not the legs. You're the guy inside, the one who thinks, the one who feels, the one who remembers. And you... Are you ready for this? You are not physical. You are spiritual. The biggest mistake we make, this is what happens, the guy, it'll be Shabbos, and wow, the strangest, here I am, this physical being, temporarily having this, this spiritual experience. Nothing could be further from the truth. I am not a physical being, temporarily having a spiritual experience. I am a spiritual being, temporarily having a physical experience. Temporarily, I'm locked into this body, and temporarily, I'm limited by what I see, what I feel, but it's a very passing phase. Those of us who are getting older know that it passes mighty quickly, but I'm the guy inside, I'm the one inside, and I'm not physical, I'm spiritual. I'm, I'm spiritual. Think about that a little bit, Edward. I am utterly, totally spiritual. I am spiritual. I am spiritual. Say it a few times. I am... <laughs> right? It shouldn't happen. But Rechonsam, you paralyze your arms, can't move your arms, can't move your legs. Are you alive? We did this. We did this. Uh, which shmuz was this? We did this recently. Shmuz number... Which shmuz number? I don't know. This one, 120 shmuz. I know. Which one was this? Come on, guys, which shoes? The death shoes. No. Where's Zipper? Mordechai Zipper could tell it in a minute. I'll tell you, shoes 23. All right, I'm not going to do it then. Fine, you look it up. Questions, thoughts, observations. We're just having fun. Edwards is, is an old friend from, uh, from Shoes Live Thursday night. Well, I have a question for Hashem, for instance. Why he killed like, babies in Egypt? For instance, killed a pharaoh. Why you kill innocent babies? And what happened to shoes number 33? Right. Okay, good. So why he does it? Okay, yes, sir. There were some kids. You spoke a lot about how the kashas are important and how you said it not really was to make the kashas of Shemana Sreya. Regarding the third section of Shemana Sreya of Hoda, do you have any take on how that should be done? Okay, it's a very good question. Um, <laughs> see, <laughs> we are so ungrateful that it's hard to... <laughs> First of all, by the way, what are the words of Modim? Hashem, I recognize and acknowledge your miracles that you bring to me every day, morning and night, each and every day. Hashem brings miracles to me? Miracles to me? Wait a minute, stop. You mean Hashem is involved in my life in an active way and I acknowledge the fact? You keep Ashkacha Brata's diary? I used to be a religious Jew. I used to keep a diary of all the... You know, something happens. It's Ashkoch, it's Hashem's involved. I used to write them down religiously. And I would write one down and a second and a third. And after a while, you, you flip through it. Oh my goodness, it's, it's astonishing. Hashem was there and Hashem was here and Hashem... By the way, anyone in this room Jewish? Okay, good. Every Jew has a story. If you would like to really change your life... There is one important book for you to read. One book and only one book. It's your autobiography. 
Your autobiography means the book about your life, the one that you write about your life. Because every Jew has a story. I met this one, I happened to be here, this happened, that happened. Everybody has events that happen, things that happen. And when it happens, you say, oh my goodness, it's Hashem, it's clear, it's obvious. If you write those down and you start chronicling them, after a while they start building, they start building. And before you know it, you have a thick book, the book of your life. And you say, Modim Anachnullah, thank you Hashem for bringing me to this place. I could never have envisioned what I needed. I can never imagine what was best for me. But you brought me here. Thank you Hashem for what you've done for me. So the powerful words, if you, if you focus on, on what they do and what they mean. Yes, sir. Wait, ladies, any other thoughts? Ladies, for or against? That young woman in the back. Yes. <clears throat> no, no, I meant my wife, I'm sorry. <clears throat> my wife once, but I never, never allow my wife, well, you got to hear this, Edward, I never allow my wife to come to Shmooz. 20 years, I would not allow my wife to come to Shmooz. I was always embarrassed, I, was, I wasn't comfortable. <clears throat> we did a Shabbaton on Shalom Bias, and <clears throat> Friday night I was going to speak. The big Hasidic crowd, very, very large crowd, and my wife said goodnight, and she went up to sleep. And I'm about 45 minutes into my routine, and I do a lot of jokes, I do a lot of... Uh, Oh, by the way, this is a plug for the marriage book for anyone who's... Anyway, so I'm about 45 minutes into it, and, um, and there in the third row... Oh my goodness, my wife, what are you doing? What are you doing? Do you know what it's like when you're on stage, and you've got to backtrack 45 minutes of material, and find out whether you're going to be sleeping in the room, or on the couch in the, in the lobby that night? It's very... So we have a rule, my wife doesn't come to the... Shmoo- oh... Did I say anything? No, he didn't say. This was Dominic. It was, we were good. We're good. We're good. Okay. Any other questions? So, yes, sir. I have a real question. A real question? Yeah. A real question, yes. If you, Ben Sion Shafir, if I would resurrect, resurrect uh, Rambam or Baal Shem or whatever authority is, and you have two questions to ask, what would it be? How did Edward do that? <laughs> That'd be the first question. <laughs> I get another one. <laughs> one question. Ask you. How did Edward do that? My God, and what else can he do? What other powers does he have? I don't know, Edward. You got too many questions. You what? Rabbi should bring Edward to every smooth. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, so you're not answering? I'm not answering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Has different, the, the ultimate goal of Berchus Krishna is the parts, or is the ultimate the whole thing is just being also working towards one goal, just like the different parts of Shemans, right? Um, okay, so Berchus Krishna, so from, Bar, you mean, when you say Berchus Krishna, I mean both? Right, from the first, the first bracha of right. Rechoshah. Okay, so. okay, so let's let's focus on what ha- what's happening in, in, in Dominic. So we start with, with the Berchus Hashachar. The Berchus Hashachar is thanking Hashem for my mobility, for my sight, my ability to, to for everything that I have, Asali Koltsarki, Hashem, you made for me all of my needs. Zokiv Kufufim, Hashem, you righten the the crooked. That's the Berchus Shachar is thanking Hashem for my basic goods that I have. Baruch Shama Tul Yishtabach is recognizing Hashem's greatness through the creation. By the way, this Shmuz tonight. Also, I forgot to mention, this, I have here some USBs. If anyone's interested. And there's um, Wonders of the World. There's a series that came out on uh, videos. They're two, three minutes long. 
and it's about 30 videos. It's on a USB. It's somewhere here. I brought a bunch of them um, because uh, this is supposed to be out in the floor. So, Bori, if you're interested, you could have them if I could if I could find them. I'm going to find them after. Anyway, please take them. The USB and you please the video. They're fantastic. But in any case, the from Baruch Shama till Yishtabach, it's supposed to be a recognition of the greatness of Hashem through the creation. Much of much of Psuke de Zimra a psukim of zemer, psukim of praising Hashem by recognizing His greatness through the creation. And we focus on the world. Thank you. Thank you very much. There they are. There they are. If you want, please please feel free to take the USB. Uh, they have the wonders of the world. It's a collection of about 30 short videos about, you know, spider, the elephant, the... I, there may even be... I might have installed part of the shmooz from tonight, the uh, cosmos part. Is in on there also. In any case, so Sukkot <clears throat> is a build-up because I recognize the greatness of Hashem through the creation. <clears throat> now, what I do after Baruch Hu is I leave this physical confines. If you listen to those words of Fanim Yisrofim, I begin describing <clears throat> the Kedusha Shamala, what happens in Shemayim <clears throat> when the Malachim prays Hashem. You see, I'm blocked by physicality, so I can't recognize Hashem. The Malachim don't have that blockage. <clears throat> They're able to recognize Hashem clearly, and <clears throat> they sing Shira, Kadosh, 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 Baruch, Kavod Hashem. That's a description <clears throat> of what happens in Shemayim. <clears throat> then we get to the last bracha, the bracha Krishma itself, which is really... It's a sort of power of a bracha. It goes on Shema, but it's really, it's also bracha of the Torah because it's thanking Hashem for the Torah. Um, Shema is edus to Hashem being Elokeinu Hashem Achad. We also have Yisias Mitzrayim at the very end. And then Shemona Esrei is the opportunity for me to speak to God. I get to recognize God. One second, ladies and gentlemen. The Queen of England is a very distinguished woman. She got in big trouble. She got in big trouble because Princess Di died. And the Queen was not very happy with Princess Di. Because Princess Di was a big busha to the monarchy. And the monarchy did not recognize her death at all. Princess Di at the time was not a queen. She was divorced already from Princess Charles, from Prince Charles. And the monarchy did not recognize the death of Princess Di at all. And the British people were in an uproar because this was the <clears throat> Princess Di was like the popular princess. She was a people's princess, and public opinion was coming out tremendously against the Queen. In any case, it turned out that maybe seventy percent of the people felt the monarchy was acting wrong. Twenty-five percent of the people felt they would dis- abolish the monarchy. She realized she was in big trouble. She did something that she hadn't done in decades. She went out amongst the people. She went amongst the people to show that she too was mourning. She hadn't been amongst the people since the end of World War II, when the Allies won. She walked amongst the people. In the decades from 1945 until was 80, she didn't walk amongst the people. Do you know why? Because the Queen of England does not walk amongst the people. She's a queen. If you're in the presence of a queen, you're fortunate beyond description once in your life to be in the presence. You don't just, you're not in the presence of the queen. The queen of England is a figurehead. Do you know what a king is? I get to speak to Hashem. Three times the creator of the heavens and earth. He's not the king of England. He's not the king of the earth. The king of creation. 
I get to speak to Hashem. I get to mention Hashem's name. Do you know what that means? I get to mention the name of Hashem. We're spaced out. We don't recognize it. Malachim do. All right, anyway, that's sort of the progression of, of Dominic. Yes, sir? Yeah, from Baruch on, we move up to Shemaim. I mean, you know, again, it's Yotza Oros, and then it's Avaraba. It's it's thematically, it's sort of like eclipsing. It's it's leaving this earth, understanding Hashem's. Now the Malachim appreciate Hashem. Then we sort of come back down and thank Hashem for the Torah and, and for Shema, which is a, it's a Berchaz Mitzvah, really. That's why it's right before, Avarab is right before Shema, because it's a Berchaz Mitzvah on Shema. Shema is Eidus, testimony to Hashem, Elokein Hashem Echad, and then you see it's Mitzrayim, and then Shema Nesrei. Yeah. But Chazal knew what they were doing. Trust them. They, they you know, follow their... You follow their flow, their emotional flow, and it's it's a very powerful experience. Okay, we're good. Oh, another question, yes, sir. Um, we, um, <coughs> we know um, which nesuch adapting is the original. My nesuch. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever nesuch you dominate, it's fine. Just as long, just don't switch. Whatever your whatever you were brought up, or whatever your minog is, you just. Stick to that and don't. They're all fine because they're, there's real makor for each one. <clears throat> um, but just make sure that if you're in a svard shul, don't dive in Ashkenaz, and or at least certainly don't do it out loud. <clears throat> um, and if you're in a you know Ashkenaz, don't dive. So you have to. If you're in a shul, you dive in that nusuch. At least the, the out loud parts, you certainly would do it. In the, the private part, parts you do yourself, <clears throat> you dive in your nusuch, and you shouldn't really switch your nusuch whatever you were brought up. Right. Yes, sir. I the, the weird twitch that Ashkenazim has. Shaka So I heard a different, a different uh, story from Rebbe that the amount of time it takes to make the brothers, the amount of time it takes to get into your mouth. Hey, I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Um, yes, a question, yes, sir. You know, when you said Rabbi Yochan and Bedak, I said Halavai, he was Talmudim. It sounded like you were saying that Halavai people should, you know, fear Hashem as much as they fear people. So I, this might not be Kasha on you, it might be Kasha on understanding the Gemara, because if you brought Rabbi Moshe's assault here and you said, Rabbi Moshe, you know, you, you, you could break into a farm store and get any safe you want, and don't worry, no one will ever find out about it. He would obviously say, no, I would never do that because I'm, I'm terrified of Hashem. Right. Nevertheless, even Ramosha had more of a recognition of you and being in front of him than Hashem did. I'll pr- and I'll prove that to you. Have you davened before in your life? <clears throat> I don't know what you call davening. Okay, but let's say today. Let's talk about today. Shachar, you davened? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> you spoke to God, creator of the heaven and earth, right? Did you faint? But if you spoke to the if you spoke to the Queen of England, you'd you spoke to God, God, Hashem. You spoke to the Creator of the heavens, and you didn't pass out. 
How could that be? Because I'm spaced down, I'm drunk, I'm that drunk issue. Sometimes I'm sober, sometimes even Ramosha. So so we're mostly drunk. I call it twenty percent sober, eighty percent drunk. So he was eighty percent sober. But still there was a blockage. As long as you're in this body, you're never going to see Hashem with total clarity. By the way, you want to hear something astonishing? Vayira Hashem El Avram. What parsha are we up to? Oh, Parshat Lech yeah. Vayera Hashem al Avram. Hashem appeared to Avram, right? When you learn that as a kid, Hashem wasn't there, Hashem appeared. Ha ha, I am here, Avram. Look in Unkelish. You know how Unkelish translates it? Is Gale. Hashem revealed himself to Avram. Of course, Hashem is here. Anything that is in existence is held in existence by Hashem. Hashem is everywhere. I don't see Hashem because I'm blocked. Vayira Hashem al-Avram v'izgali Hashem revealed himself to Avram suddenly transparent and Avram saw Hashem Hashem was always there but Avram suddenly had total acuity total absolute vision at that moment so even Avram Avinu didn't have total absolute clarity always on rare occasions but generally not alright okay ladies and gentlemen thank you I thank Rabbi Glazer I thank the first Park Jewish Center and Mr. Weisel and should have a lot of a lot of atzlacha and uh, if you got the book it's coming on Hanukkah if you have the pre-publication copy you don't need to get the book but uh, but please take a USB uh, Wonders of the World USB on your way out you're more than welcome to take uh, USB thank you